This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's great as always to be here with you. And once again, I'm joined by the hardest working man in Pink Floyd show business, Paul Bindig. How are you, Paul? <laughs> Thank you, David. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm looking forward to talking to our guest today. Yeah, so I, I'm a little bit excited about this one as well. I've, I've mentioned bucket list moments with a few of our guests, but this and this is definitely one of them. So Ruben Valtierra is keyboard player with Weird Al Yankovic, um, and I'm a massive Weird Al Yankovic fan and have seen Ruben play live in Australia twice. Uh, and um, what I'll probably be saying to Ruben in the interview is, it blew me away from the very get-go, just how good. I knew they'd be good, but just how good this band are. And so, Ruben, I'm sure I have a lot of great insights on that and also all of the stuff that he's done outside of working with Weird Al. So, yeah, very excited. Yeah, and unlike you, David, I've, I've not been fortunate enough to see Weird Al live, but I literally grew up with Weird Al Yankovic's music and, and I've always loved it. And I'm very excited to actually to get a bit of insight into how the band works. And, uh, you know, I've got a feeling that uh, based on your experience, and I have heard the shows are absolutely amazing, that it's it's a pretty slick setup, I think. Yeah, so no, let, let's jump in and um, see what Ruben's... A huge welcome to you, Ruben. It's great, so great to have you here. This is a bit of a bucket list moment for, for us. So um, thanks for taking the time. I hear voices. Where, who's talking to me? Who? Well, it, looks, oh, hello. it looks like you're in heaven. You've got just that lovely aura of light, like that angelic light around you. Yes. El Maestro is, uh, it's my nimbus. That's, that's the one. It's a nimbus. Um, how are you guys? Good, good. So good. Well, yeah, look, so pleased to have you on. And, um, you know, uh, we, we look forward to having a wide ranging chat over the, the next period of time. Um, so do bear with Anything us. Anything you want to talk about? Anything no. you want to talk about? So well, I thought we might just start with the most basic thing we ask all our guests and that tell us about Ruben Valtiera, the early years. So what, what was your upbringing and what got you into music as a passion? Uh, my upbringing is that I remember my dad playing, um, let's see, playing Stravinsky, The Rite of Spring, when I was about five years old. And I, you know, everybody else was listening to, you know, whatever. And I loved that. And then he introduced me to all the classical, the basic uh, piano repertoire, the classical piano repertoire. And uh, from an early age, I, I knew who, you know, Van Cliburn had uh, won a couple of years before then the, uh, the Tchaikovsky uh, competition. And, and I've actually seen videos. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that record. It was a very famous record. It's one of the first best-selling records, uh, classical. It was uh, Van Cliburn winning the Tchaikovsky uh, competition in Moscow in 1958. This was many years after that I saw it. But I've actually been able to, so I grew up with that record. Isn't it a crazy thing to grow up with records? Yes. And then somehow somebody had the video of their performance and they put it on YouTube. So like 40 years later for you guys, for me, 60 years later, but for, like 50 years later, you actually get to see the yeah. video of the performance that you grew up with and it's like so so cool so my dad got me into that and um 
And then um, I auditioned for piano lessons by taking my toy piano, which you can see um, sometimes on my Facebook profile. Um, you can see my dad giving me my toy, my first piano, a toy piano on Christmas Eve. And it's the moment where I realized it's a toy, it's a piano. It's my very first, you know, the first instrument. How cool is that? Who, who has a picture of getting their very first piano? So anyway, so he got me on that. And then I, uh, I took the piano into their, and, and, and started playing some Beethoven on the toy piano. They said, well, he needs lessons. So I started taking classical lessons. Um, I joined the, uh, let's see, I joined the uh, orchestra in high school. And uh, I, I couldn't read very well. So I was actually playing by ear, you know, playing all these orchestral pieces by ear. And the conductor's like, going, how are you doing that? And <laughs> anyway, uh, so the thing is, is that after that, I, I went to college and then uh, I started learning how to play jazz a little bit. And then after college, I formed a, 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 a funk fusion band in Santa Cruz, California. And we were very popular. It was called Rush Hour. You can find it on YouTube mm -hmm. uh, or, or on my site. And then um, I got to be too big of a fish, you know, uh, in too small of a pond in Santa Cruz. And my friend said, you need to go down to L.A. Mm -hmm. And I went down to L.A. at an advanced age. I was already in my mid-30s because I started late. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't start playing in bands until I was like 23, you know, as opposed to all my other friends who were starting when they were 10, you know. <laughs> and and so so uh, I went down at an advanced stage in my early 30s down to L.A., um, started getting known. And within the first year, um, I was already getting known by a, a bunch of people. Uh, playing heavy fusion, playing, you know, like uh, tribal tech kind of stuff, playing uh, Yellow Jackets, playing Michael Brecker, uh, the Brecker Brothers, Larry Carlton, all that kind of stuff. And then actually getting to play, starting to play with those guys. But then I got a call to be in an orchestra to do a TV special for a certain personality named Dr. Yes. Demento. And believe it or not, Ruben, we do know Dr. Demento down here, although he's I'm not. Sorry. A, no, no, no. No, I, no, no, no he's, a, he's, a, he's not he's as familiar to us as he is in the US, but um, I, I've loved some of his work over the years. And I'm, I'm, I definitely want to move on to that. Um, and we might as well do it now because I believe um, your audition process, uh, particularly with Weird Al, involved a bit of a falling on the head moment. So very keen for our listeners to hear about that. Well, for all the people that haven't heard, basically, the thing is, is that um, I received a phone message. Um, my, my, my girlfriend had uh, written a message saying, Weird Al needs you. I'm like, what? And I'm new in town. I've, I've been there for about a year. And um, it's like, what is this? Oh, well, you're, you'll be part of the orchestra with Dr. for Dr. Demento. They're putting on a show, a TV show, and it's gonna be all the people that he would have on the radio show. You know, uh, Bobby Boris, uh, what was his name? Bobby Boris Pickett, who did the Monster Mash. Those kind of songs, those kind of people. And then the, the big star at the end was gonna be Weird Al Yankovic. I'm like, wow, Weird Al. So that's, that's pretty cool. He hadn't been doing anything for a while because he, was, he had been busy uh, doing his movie. UHF. Oh, yeah. So he was, so he wasn't touring. So now he come back, he comes back and he does this thing. So we're, we're rehearsing and I'm there with the orchestra and there's the rhythm section, the rock and roll rhythm section. And I'm sitting next to the guitar player and I go, so uh, what's your story? And he goes, oh, well, we're actually Al's band. The rhythm section is Al's band. I'm like, Oh wow! Okay, that that's cool. And uh, well, where where's your keyboardist? And he, and and Jim West, Jim Kimo West says, uh, "Oh, well, Al doesn't really have one right now." Yeah. And I'm like, "Cha-ching!" Right? 
new guy in town. It's like, I'm going, you're kidding. There's no, and I'm here. That's like, okay. So the thing is, is that we do a couple of tunes without we, and, and he's, he has me do this little thing where he's going to talk and we're going to go into a, a song called one more minute. Um, and, and first he sets it up. So he wants some like soft cocktail music and this and that. And then supposedly I'm supposed to start getting loud and he gives me a look and, and, and uh, I, I supposedly, you know, I'm supposed to stop. And then he talks again and I get loud and he gives me a look and, he, and then finally, uh, supposedly I keep going so much that he's supposed to come over and poke me like this where Bermuda Schwartz, the drummer has a sample set up. It sounds like the Three Stooges. So it goes, boink. You know, I'm supposed to go oh like this, ah, like a. You know, it's kind of stupid, kind of lame. So we go through rehearsal. I do the thing, and then we tape the show. So basically, he gets up there and goes, uh, "Can I get some soft lighting?" You know, they don't change the lighting. He's like, "Thank you very much." And I'm here doing um, soft cocktail music. He starts talking. I get louder. He gives me a look and I'm like, like that. People start laughing a little bit. And then we do it again. I get louder again. He gives me a look. I'm like, huh? <laughs> you know, and so now the band is already going, oh no, what's going on? The guy's hamming it up. And so the third time, he starts talking, I start uh, playing, and I go into Grieg, you know, the A minor concerto, bang, 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 and doing all this crap. And he goes, and he comes up to me, he taps me on the shoulder, I'm supposed to turn around, he pokes me in the eye, I go like that. No, he, he, he taps me on the shoulder, and I'm here going like that, and he doesn't know what to do, and now he's like going, so he taps me on the shoulder again, and I'm like, get that, get the hell out of here. And people are all starting to laugh. The, the, the band is here going, the orchestra's going, what's he doing? And then finally, he just, he's had enough of this. And he goes like that, and they go, what? You know, like, what the you want? And he goes, bam, like that, slams me in the head. I go flying off of the riser, which is about five feet high, right? dragging curtains and this and that the whole stage like completely falls apart i slam on my head and the people are going nuts and they go oh my god oh my god and they go stop you know or cut right and the people are going nuts they they said cut but it kept and kind of kept going they all rushed around to help me because i was going to be in a you know, a puddle of blood, a pool of blood with broken bones and this and that. And they found me sitting or lying on a giant pile of pillows, these giant pillows that I had set up before the gag. And they found me there completely unhurt. And they're going, oh, okay, we see what's going on. And basically... I wanted to show him, I wanted that gig. And so this is what I did to get that gig. And he remembered me and it was a big part of the show. It was this crazy thing of the show, a big highlight of the show. He remembered me and called me up about six, and six months later while I was, uh, I was, I had a gig in France for a couple of uh, months. They left a message and said, you know, Al, uh, it was Steve J, the bass player. He said, Al, really lo love what you did at the thing. We'd like to know if you'd like to come on tour with us. And that was in 1992. And here I am. Okay. And it's like I said, I wanted that gig. I got the gig. And so, so yeah, this all is all in my head. So this is your 30th year, Ruben, which is incredibly impressive. And um, obviously he didn't need to audition you based on your musical abilities because A, you had the history there and B, he'd already played a show with you, essentially. Yeah, we uh, we performed a couple of, uh, of tunes that, uh, excuse me, showed off uh, 
showed that I could that I could do all the styles, but at the same time, by having to back up all the other acts, he you know we had to do a wide range of stuff, and so he saw I had to do a thing with an another accordion player, a guy who had an accordion player. He didn't know the accordion player. It wasn't Al. It was some studio guy. The guy couldn't get, the guy didn't like what the accordion player was doing. And I started just like, because I was bored, I started playing the part on my synth. And the guy's like, that's perfect. That's what I want. Why can't you do that, you stupid accordion player? And the guy's like, I don't know. So they, they, they let go of the accordion player. I took over. So basically... Al saw that I was able to do, you know, cover all the styles. And uh, so it's been, it's been 30 years. It feels like 60. And there's, there's, and there's obviously <laughs> not a brotherhood of accordion players because Al shouldn't have brought you on just from the fact you killed one of his, uh, one of his colleagues in accordion land. <laughs> no, it really had nothing to do with, no, with no. the whole accordion thing. It's, it's basically that Al got to see, because he was there, he got to see that I could cover all the stuff so I was, it was uh, obvious that I was going to be able to cover all the stuff that he could do. And, and, um, yeah. you know, and then he just called and, and it just, it just kept going. It kept going. And for some of our listeners that haven't had the pleasure of seeing uh, Weird Al and the band live, and I have twice, um, I, I wasn't surprised, Ruben, but what, what really struck me is just not only is it a good band, but it is a great band and it's a great oh, band, that, the great band that has to cover a massive range of material at a high level of technical ability. And it just blew me away that first show, just how good the band is. So how's that evolved over time as far as, you know, do you guys obviously rehearse? There's no doubt about that, but how's that evolved that you've just gotten better and better over those years? The guys are, are the are the best musicians. Um, uh, Jim Kima West, uh, the guitarist, uh, is already being recognized as uh, one of the top uh, Hawaiian slack key guitar masters in the world. Um, but the thing is, is that so you've got him, you've got Steve J on bass, who uh, was uh, educated by uh, in a classical, you know, he in Florida, I forget what university he went to, but he, he majored in, in, in music and, and orchestral and scoring and everything. And John Cage, the famous, uh, the famous uh, let's see, avant-garde, a classical composer, was one of his teachers. Um, uh, Bermuda, uh, John Schwartz, uh, is a, a, just a great drummer who can play all of the proper styles, is very musical. His brother uh, is a session gu a guitarist uh, in LA and Nashville who played with Neil Diamond for like about 30 years and a uh, big time guy. So there's tons of talent there and they know exactly what Al wants. And the thing is, Al doesn't have to tell anybody um, what he wants. He just says, here's the song. You know, you know what to do. And everybody, everybody studies their parts, comes prepared and out, you know, it gets counted off and it's all there. And we just and so there's this almost like this competition going on where you got to bring your best because you, you can't look like a slacker. You can't, you know, because everybody will just look at you and just like smile and laugh or, or just smile knowingly that, you know, you're not cutting it, dude. And, and the, so, I mean, to the point where Al sent me home during recording sessions because I was not playing the part exactly the way it had to be played. Uh, point being, um, the, the saga begins, which is uh, basically, um, the saga begins was um, American Pie, Don McLean. You remember that one? Mm -hmm. And the piano part on it, is all weird and kind of goofy and has kind of strange licks and it, and, it, and the time goes this way and that way and I had no guide he wanted it exactly like the record so like, can't we clean it up and make it nice no I wanted exactly like the record so that was one of the hardest sessions that I had to do where you could actually take my you know the recording of my recording 
and the recording on the record, you can play them at the same time. And they're so perfectly aligned that you can, it's like they're phasing, you know, they're, they're phasing because they're so close. But the thing is, is that there, you had no markers, you, you know, you, you, you had no click. It had to be perfect from memory, you know, and, and, and just so, so, he, and he sent me home a couple of times, you know, he said, you don't got it, you know, and I had to go home and the guys are like looking at me and going, <laughs> you know, so, so the thing is, it's, it's, it's a, a, it's a bit competitive. It's a professional uh, competitiveness in there. The guys are just the best, you know, and, and uh, thing is, is that I'm sorry to say it, but all the bands know this. We play their stuff better than they do. We do. Um, and as you, you, I think you were about to say something, uh, but I would, I, I was going to respond by saying, you know, it's almost like the, though it's gotten to like the Beatles uh, at the end of their live perform, uh, you know, their live career, where they had so much orchestral stuff going on. And so many people, they couldn't recreate the stuff on stage. And that's part of the reason that, you know, they, they got sick of the whole Beatlemania and this and that. But, and they got sick of all the screaming because they couldn't hear each other. They didn't have monitors, you know, you know that. So they, do, you, do you remember that one interview where, where um, George Harrison said that he had actually, they were, he had said, you know, on this song, I'm sorry for goofing up the bridge. And they said, we didn't play that song. <laughs> he was complaining, he was playing a completely different tune. They couldn't hear each other, you know. So yeah. finally they just said, you know, we're, we're through with this. But with the technology that we have, we're able to create recreate all the tracks, all the things that Al, Al does, whether it's on, that we have stuff on a server or whether I've got stuff sampled. You know, and uh, I was able to, you know, I had to catch up with all the technology to be able to keep up and, and do all this stuff. You know, well, I had to get all that kind of stuff that you guys have back there. What do you got back there? Now, um, anyway, so as you can see, I just go on and on and on and on. Uh, well, Rube, had, did that answer your question? It does. Ruben, that, that level of professionalism is not shocking, as, as, as David suggested in the question, because the band is just so amazing on stage. I'm interested in this, though. We had a guest on here not long ago. He was, he was fantastic. Jeff Babco, who... Oh, I know goes, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would. And as, as you would He's know, got my and, gig. Yeah, well, and, and our listeners would know. He's he got goes, my gig. He, he does. does a lot of, he does a lot of work with Steve Martin and Martin Short. And right. one, of the, one of the questions we asked him was... We, you know, working with those guys so closely, it, it must be a lot of fun. And, you know, you must never know what's going to happen because they're so clever with their extemporaneous comedy. And he said, well, actually, the show is rehearsed with an inch of its life. So there's not too much unpredictable stuff going on behind the scenes. It's very much rehearsed. I'm interested in, in your band, Ruben, whether there is some room for a bit of improvisation from, the, from a presentation and a humour point of view, or is, is it very much uh, rehearsed with an inch, inch of its life in the way it's presented? I will answer your question by telling you this. Al would come up to Bermuda, you know, on the bus. When we, we get on the bus at 12 o'clock every night, we don't have residencies. You know, it's like we go to the next place, which is 400 miles away. It's, it's a, some sort of legal contract that we have to, we can only play. We have to go at least 400 miles away, you know, to do the next gig. Um, so we're on the bus at 12 o'clock. Um, Al will come up to Bermuda, would come up to Bermuda and go like this. He'd go, and Bermuda would go, oh, uh, and that meant, how long was the show tonight? And I swear to God. And Bermuda would say, uh, tonight, yeah, that was, uh, that was an hour, that was an hour and 20 and 37 seconds. And the next night, Al would do the same thing. And Bermuda would say, that was an hour and 20 and 35 seconds. That's how much room there is for improvisation. Yeah, right. The shows are completely choreographed, completely timed. Al doesn't really say anything. He doesn't have any patter or mm. this or that. 
It's just, it's to the second, uh-huh. it's to the second, you know? And, uh, and I, I would love to do more improv, but, but the way, I mean, everything is so tight yeah. when the lights go, when everything goes black, the crew rushes onto the stage in complete darkness and is taking care of everything and this and that, and nobody bumps into each other. They know exactly where they have to be. It's completely a choreographed. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not a it's it's not a spontaneous show no. at all. It's not improv- improvisatory. And just on on just your, your comment um, about Jeff Babco. So ha- has he got your Martin Short and Steve Martin gig or the Jimmy Kimmel gig? Gig. Really? The Jimmy Kimmel gig. Yeah. Okay. The Jimmy Kimmel gig because because I was in a funk fusion band. Um, a salsa funk, a salsa funk band uh, in the early nineties. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. And it was it was a great thing with the three sexy singers in the front and and all the studio cats, um, um, ton, tons of cats. Um, let's see, what am I trying to say? And and so the thing is, is that Al called me. I had to go do the tour. And basically that gig was, it's your gig until you leave. And when you leave, you know, somebody else takes your place, but you can't come back because it's their gig until they leave. So the guy that took my place was Jeff Babco. (laughs) And Cleto was in the band, right? Along with Jonathan Dressel along with Jimmy Earl, the bass player. Jonathan Dressel is Bernie Dressel's brother, the, the great drummer. And Jonathan is a f- great world-class drummer. So anyway, Cleto gets a call from his high school friend, Jimmy Kimmel, who says, hey, they're giving me a show. I need a band. I want you, I want you to be the leader. So Cleto takes the band and takes it to the Jimmy Kimmel show. I was I was in that band. And so because I was with Al, I couldn't do the otherwise I would have had like a 25 year show, you know, just being like uh, yeah, that'd be great for my pension. But Ruben, we are definitely going to talk much more about rigs in a little while. We're very keen to hear about not just the technical, but just what you've what you've said about playing in that band is fascinating. But we also want to cover all your myriad of other stuff. Um, But I know, Paul, you've just got one more question about Weird Al at this stage. Yeah, I I, I do. I'm, I'm fascinated with the fact that you ended up doing something that I'm sure a lot of us would love to do, and that is being characterized on The Simpsons. And Obviously, Weird Al and, and the whole band were featured on, on an episode back in 2002. And I used to watch The Simpsons a lot back then. I don't these days. And I remember, you know, in sort of reviewing it in research for the interviews today, I, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that episode. I'm curious <laughs> as to what level of involvement goes on behind the scenes. They obviously went to some trouble to accurately portray the band. Which uh, they is- sent... The management sent uh, uh, the people over doing The Simpsons. Um, I, I think it's Korea. Um, they sent it to their artists over there. So they sent a bunch of pictures yep. of, of the band, close-ups and this and that. And and basically, uh, we went into the studio and we played. We had to learn the Jack and Diane thing by uh, Mellencamp. Yes. And he turned it into that. And uh, my piano part was was fairly simple, and and Jim's part was uh, there was a couple of guitars involved, and then bass and drums, and then of course Al sang, and uh, we we completed that. It was just a what I think we only had to do. I think we had to do a verse and a chorus. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and I just lost your feed. There you are. so we had to do a verse and a chorus. And then the next thing I know, the, there's the show, you know, and I think it's called Two Gays of the Condo as opposed to, or it was a three gay, three gays of the condo as opposed to three days of the condor. It, that's right? correct. That's and correct. it won, yeah. the, it won a, an Emmy or something. Yes. And it's really nice to have that, uh, to have that still, um, um, I would have loved to have the uh, cell, the animated cell, but this was after they went to digital. 
Right. So they weren't doing cells anymore. So it yeah. would have been nice. But uh, I got the still. I use it every once in a while. But uh, th that that was pretty much that. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have to film us or anything. They just sent them pictures. No big thing. Yeah. Still impressive. Yeah. And and so Very just cool. just to jump all around the shop, uh, Ruben, let's talk Deep Purple. So obviously. Uh, really keen to how you got involved with Glenn Hughes and um, and the band as it was at that time and um, what you learnt from that experience. Obviously, you know, organ is so key to the sound of Deep Purple. Just love your insights on that time. Uh, I wasn't, uh, let's see, a friend of mine, uh, a great guitarist was involved with Glenn and Glenn put together his version of Deep Purple, which he called... Deep Purple with Glenn Hughes, and uh, it didn't. It did. It did not involve uh, um, uh, Ian Pace or or the other guys. You know, obviously John Lord, but uh, it didn't involve uh, Richie Blackmore or or any of those guys. So it was Glenn Hughes, and it was his version of it, and so that's what he called it. So the so I I say it. It's it's obviously I was not part of the real Deep Purple. I would. I would, uh, but we did, we did all those songs and Glenn is the voice of rock, Jeez. you know, the Glenn is the voice of rock. And he didn't, he didn't want to do all that screaming stuff that everybody, you know, loves him to do because, and he can still do it. It's amazing. His vocal ability is amazing. He can still do yeah, it. Amazing. And he plays bass great. Mm. He was very, very talented, you know, uh, and, and let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, you know, they've had a bunch of other singers, but um, Glenn, Glenn was just great. So we, we, did, uh, we did some tours in, uh, we did, uh, we went to Moscow, we went to England, we went to the UK, um, we went to, uh, yeah, uh, France. And, and, and that, that was great. It was a great experience. I wasn't playing B3, that was, I had, I actually had a Kurzweil K2000 and I was able to, I actually went in and sampled a B3 in different, you know, and mapped it, right? And I had it as the clean tone and then I sampled the less, the full on, full draw bars with the Leslie going, I sampled that and made that in about five, uh, five sections. And so basically I had, uh, back in those days, the, the Kurzweil had a, a lever that you were actually able to go from one, um, let's see, one level of the program to another level and turn on and enable another level. So I had the clean level and then I'd, I'd pull down the, the fader and it would take me to the full on um, full on draw bar with the Leslie going. And that was the best way that I could get a real sounding B3. And that would have had to be 1995. So, so all these, all these hoops that I had to jump through that I, I you know, because of Al, I got, I got, I had good training. I had to learn on the spot how to go in and be able to, you know, where people would say, you know, I'd say, how can we make the sound? And, you know, people will go, well, you can't get there from here. You know, we don't have that kind of technology. No, I figured out ways to be able to, do, you know, go, you know, back doors and this and that and be able to, uh, you know, being able to do something like uh, I didn't have enough hands to be able to work pedals, to be able to work a modulation levers and this and that. I need to be able to hit one note and then have that note go up, but at the same time, have another sound, which is the same note, but it's another sound and have it go down, you know? So I was able to figure out how to go in, layer stuff, talk to modulation sources and route them in a certain way so that when I hit that one note, if I pressed on it more, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the tone, would go up and that would be a one sound. And then the other sound, the tone would go down by me pressing. You know, I had to start thinking in those kind of ways. So that's why 
that's why, uh, you know, when I'm playing jazz and this and that, it's a completely different dimension. I'm playing linear, linear. I'm, I'm, I'm composing in my head. It's all very aesthetic. But when I'm with Al, I'm thinking of waveforms, modulation sources. And, you know, that's why I've been with Kurzweil all this time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and let's let's talk that a little bit then, Ruben, as far as Kurzweil, because it is obvious you're a, a huge Kurzweil fan, um, and that's obviously one of the reasons. Yes, because Kurzweil is the is the uh, early on. It was showing it was the only uh, the look the other synths they have their they have the great uh, sounds that are associated with a certain synth. You know, uh, how sad is it that way back in the day. It's like you would actually pay thousands of dollars for a synth just because it had this one patch, right? And then all the rest of it, like the organs were crap, you know, the horns were crap, you know, but this one patch was was great. Um, but Kurzweil was was affording me the ability ability to be able to do anything that I could think of, you know. You just had to get in deep. With, with their uh, VAST uh, architecture. And I learned a lot of stuff from watching YouTube and seeing, and then they do all sorts of tutorials. And uh, I, and you know what, they've taken care of me. Mm. They've taken care of me for, for years. And that, that'd they be would, probably why your new toy sitting there behind you, Ruben. Uh, you know, that's the 2700. Yeah. And basically, the cool thing about the 2700, they wanted me because what they would do is, um, you know, basically they saw, they saw what I could afford them in that um, a lot of kids will be taken to a weird Al concert. It's like their first concert. Right. And so then they want to play keyboards and the dad would go, you know, take him to the keyboard, so you know, the music store, and say, "What do you want? I want what Ruben was playing because it was their first concert and made an impression on them." And so, so then Kurzweil understood this, and they said, "We need to just take care of this guy because he's influencing so many kids." So Kurzweil would actually phone me up. You know, this is going to make a lot of guys jealous, but I am blessed. Um, Kurzweil would phone me up before tours, you know, six months before a tour and go, what do you need? You know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. And they go, well, we got the new thing. Is there a way that you can show this off, you know, and premiere this or, or you know, display this, you know? And I'm like, okay. So they asked me about the, um, they told me about the 2700. And I'm like, well, like, you know, I've got my, uh, that's the uh, K8. This is the K8. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful piece of gear. Um, and that thing can do, you know, that thing can do anything. So so I've got it all tweaked out. Now it's coming back with this show that we did like uh, two tours ago, and I've got everything. And it's, you know, it takes me to try to figure out how I'm going to design how everything's going to go. And it's like, um, he got to this place where he was, uh, he'd say, here's the song list. We're, we've got a rotating list of 60 songs, you know, for this one tour. Usually it would be like 13 songs or whatever, and it was just the same every night. But for this tour, he said, I'm going to just mix it up every night. And it's going to be from 60 songs. So you got to learn, you got to learn all of them, you know, and, and have them ready to, so, so he's gone all spring. He's go. gone all Springsteen on you, Ruben. Pretty much, except, except, uh, mm, no, not even Springsteen. More, more like Billy Joel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you've you've uh, interviewed. Uh, I forget. I forget the gentleman's name. I. I oh, David Rosenthal. Right. You know, we've we've talked. We have talked and, and exchanged notes. And said, really, you have to do that. No, really, you have to do that. Yeah, me too. Um, so, so the thing is, is though, in order to do, um, in order to do the show, something like, I don't know if you can. I'm trying to get the glare out of there. That's a young. 
There you go. Yeah, 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 young, dumb, and ugly. Yep. Okay, so that's my part. You know, we're we're and and because there's so many songs, it's like I'm Al. I'm too old. I can't remember this stuff. And and he said, Well, you know, because I remember the first the first tour. I said, uh, Do we need to bring our own music stands? And he goes, And all the guys are in the band go. There's no music. There's no reading in rock and roll. And I'm like, oh, because I was used to reading all the time. So I, so we did the Stephen Colbert show a couple of years ago, and they had teleprompters. And Al, after the show, said, this was so cool. For once, I wasn't really nervous. It was right there. And I go, yeah, but once you go there, you're not going to go back. And so the next tour that we did, he had teleprompters. And I'm saying, well, if you've got teleprompters, then, you know, then can I, can we read the thing? And he and goes, okay, okay. So I've got it all, all the, I've got everything completely scored on, on the iPad, all the tunes. And basically, and basically, um, Young, Dumb and Ugly. And okay, right now I've got it as number two. Okay, so I I've got it all all programmed so that when I go to um, and the, the twenty seven hundred has been able to step in and take the place of my K eight. The architecture is kind of close, and because I was really worried, I had everything all tweaked out on the K eight, and then it was going to have to like like reprogram everything is going to take weeks and weeks. I'm going, no, no. And then Chris Wall said, no, 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 you can, you can transfer the files. It will go in there. It'll read everything, the samples, the maps, everything. Oh God, thank you. So basically I'll go into the, the, um, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I will address the 2700, which will be my number one keyboard. And then I got the K6 on top of it. Um, the 2700, I will say quick access, and I will go number two, which is dumb, Young, Dumb, and Ugly. Within number two, it's got the programs that I've got, a chain of programs that are just for that song. So when I get to, when I get to a certain part in the score, like uh, one of those circles, like the, something in yellow or something there, it'll say you know, program up, right? And I know just to hit the program up and it will, it will go to the program up. And so the thing is, is that Young, Dumb and Ugly could have been song number 33 and then program, it would have been like program number 150 and the next program would be number 151 and 152, but let's say that I had to change one of those programs or add another program that would have screwed up the entire chain. And I would have had to like be, been, you know, re-editing everything. No, instead, uh, I just, I can put the program, I can name it whatever I want, like 1053, but I drop it into the quick access mode and it's right there. And so it could be, the quick access will be number two, but, when I go into the when I go into there and I hit the program, the first one it might be 143, and the next program that I have to hit, I'll hit program up. It'll just go to the next one, but that'll be program 2045. So that's why I I love Kurzweil because it, it allows me to be able to design things like that, you know. And so so was it was that too much? No, that was good. And it's because awesome. it's, it's, I was going to ask. So are you moving to the twenty seven hundred? It sounds like you definitely are. There it is, and it and it it's it's working pretty good. It it, it seems to be, and it's got better. It's got better things happening. Uh, I think some better brass. I I, I talk to them a, a lot about uh, their electric pianos that seem that used to feel kind of muddy. And it was like, it was almost like running through mud, you know, and because, you know, you want to do some fast stuff, and it, but they've, they've tweaked it out. It's, it's a lot better now, you know. So basically, the thing is, playing with Al, it's really, I'm sorry to say it, I'm blessed, but at the same time, it turns me into a robot because I've got, it's got to be to the point where you don't think about anything. You just you're 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 not thinking about music you're actually thinking about 
Okay, now put your hand here. Now step on this pedal. Now put your hand here. Now step on this pedal. Now push this. You know, it's 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 not like jazz or anything where you're just creating. Am I am I giving away too much? No, I I think I'm talking I think, professional. Yeah, no, I think I think the, the the equivalent. I'd love your thoughts, Ruben. Is it's more like musical theater because in musical theater there's that yeah. level of rigor around it as well. Well, it's 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 uh, as I've said before, it's like uh, it's a rock and roll musical on steroids, mm. you know, because because we're up there slamming. But the thing is, is that it's like I'm known for for soloing. I've been always known for soloing, and the thing is, I for the, for for thirty years, I never took a solo. I, I was never given a solo. I like a real solo where you can stretch and where you know the the leader's going, yeah, yeah, come on, you know, no, it's got to be. It's a certain couple of bars, and it's usually a written solo. You know, it's a soli. And and that and that and that's it. So it's it's right there because we're all so in sync with the videos. So we've got the giant video screens going on, yeah. and those things have embedded inside it uh, a click track, which is being sent to the drummer. And so it it's gotten to the point. It's gotten to the point. I'm sorry to you know. I apologize to you know pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I am pulling back the curtain, I'm sorry. But the thing is, is that the drummer, it's like, wasn't that great? I mean, remember that part where we did that? And he goes, and, and I go, oh yeah, right. Because he doesn't have us in his mix. Yeah. He has Al's vocal and he has the click track. And that's all, he goes, I don't need to hear anything else. It'll just mess me up. Mm. So. So in other words, I'm talking professional, I'm talking about theater. It's, it's not about creating music or this or that. We are, we're playing, we are reciting the script and we are not, you know, it's like, we're not going in there and saying, you know, to be or not to be, that's what I'm thinking about. No, it's gotta be to be or not to be, that is the question, you know. It's got to be the same every time, or else it'll screw up everything. So, to, so to go from one extreme to the other, then, Ruben, is you've had some involvement with everything from Tower Power, Santana, and your own Latin orchestra. That I would argue that's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and, and very much so. Um, I had I I I had a group with Bruce Conti for a long time and he was the original one of the original guitarists of tower power on all the uh, what is hip stuff you know all the the good time and the good part of tower power the the classic the hit time um i was asked by emilio the leader of tower to uh to come down and, and play with the band he wanted me to be in the band and uh i was on tour with al you know so i i, I had to say no but I've, you know, like like the like the thing says, my my bio says I've shared the stage with the guys. I've played with all the guys, but I was I didn't play with Tower. I wanted to play with Tower, um, but you know that that didn't happen. And and the thing is, is that you know that could have been, as my story goes, I remember getting the gig with Al, and. I was hanging out with a guy and he, and he's, I go, what are you doing? He's going, well, I'm going out with Sting. Well, oh, cool. Why? Well, I, I got, I got the gig too. And he goes, with who? And I go, with Al. And he's like, Al Jarreau? I'm like, no. Is it Al Green? No. <laughs> I'm like, and he's like, and I go, Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic. And he's like, right? He laughed, but 30 years later, I phone him up and I go, so what's up? You know, how's the thing with Sting? And he goes, oh, dude, that lasted two weeks. So that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I could have been with Tower or this or that, but I'm here after 30 plus years with Al because I first played with him in 1991, you know, and, and uh, with, the, with, the, with the visibility that this has afforded me, with uh, with the uh, the support from all the manufacturers, and this, and you know, it's 
and, and I mean, you know, to be on The Simpsons. I love to think, I can't imagine you losing a lot of sleep, Ruben, really. Yeah, about what ifs. I can't imagine you're the sort of guy that goes, what if, you know, I had, you know, worked with Tower of Power rather than Weird Al. Two weeks. Who knows? That's yeah. right. And at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people that do these kind of gigs and they say, you know, careful about meeting your heroes. You, know, you don't ever want to meet your heroes, right? Because you'll, you'll, you'll be let down. In other words, uh, the sax player uh, told me, yeah, I love their stuff until I realized that every night I was going, I was basically going, right? And it's just like, well, then once you're doing that, the whole magic of the experience of the song that you remembered and this and that, it just turns into this weird robotic kind of thing and you end up hating it. In other words, you know, if you work at a pizza place, right, and people go, hey, let's go out for dinner. What do you want? You want, let's get some pizza. I us like, no, no, you know, I don't want to get pizza you know and and so the thing is i could be with all those guys it could have lasted two weeks who knows maybe i'd start hating the music but you know to be with a guy for for 30 plus years and to be able to say i've never heard him raise his voice he knows exactly what he wants and he expects it from you and it's and as the, when's the last time that you were with, that you had a boss that didn't raise his voice, you know? And now he's now now he's a legend, and you know there's the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, uh, I, it'd be great for him to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even though you know that thing is turning into a into a crap show anyway. It's like sure, we'll we'll let you be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, by the way, if you want somebody to come with you, that'll be ten thousand yes. dollars for them to stick with you. It's like yeah. really, but Al should be Al should be in it, you know. He, he and he, there he's are videos. Yeah, his legacy is outstanding. I think you know he's he's so many of us have grown up with him, like literally grown up with him, um, and his his legacy is amazing and the joy he brings to people. And yeah, you know, you talking about the concert being being so well rehearsed and so professional. Well, that's that's what I get out of it. It's professionalism. You know, it's it's putting on an amazing show every night for people. And as you said, you've got young young kids, their first ever concert's a weird hour concert. And I want to play that keyboard. And that's an amazing thing to to have as a, as part of the band's legacy and weird hours legacy, but also yours, Ruben. Yes. Um, so, so let's link Tara Power to um, Santana. And this, this alludes to, before we started recording, I mentioned to you, we'd had another guest who um, we ended up making two episodes from. Um, and that's someone that played in both Tower of Power and Santana. Can you guess who that David is? David Matthews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David K. Matthews. That's right. Won't be uh, mixed up with the other David Matthews. I knew him as a Bay Area player who... Uh, who was very good, who actually, uh, um, and he was with Etta James before, before mm -hmm. that. And, you know, the thing is, is that I, I wanted to play with Santana. Of course, that's on my bucket list, right? But now it's gotten to the point where, and so the poor guy, I mean, I, well, well, let's not go there. Let's say this. I'm really glad that David has that gig, you know, and, and, he, and he deserves the gig. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I uh, I know that I would bring a very strong Latin sense to the gig, you know, um, a very strong Latin sense because that's what I really love. And to the point that I I actually phoned up Walfredo Wally Reyes Jr., who played drums with Carlos for years, and I called up Keith Jones, who played bass with him for a long time and I said, I'd like to put together a reel. Um, I wanna get a little group together, I'm gonna to record it, I'm gonna bring in a kind of guitarist like sound alike a little bit, cause I want that gig. And I will, I will, what I will do is I will bring both Chester Thompson and the stylings of Tom Coster who used to be with Santana way back in the day especially on the early albums like Borboletta 
and welcome. And he was really, they were slamming. I will bring both of those sensibilities to Carlos, you know, because I saw, I looked at videos and he's, he's playing and they're doing Oye Como Va for the hundred thousandth time. And he's just like, he's he's, he's, he's looking like that. And I go, no, I can bring back the whole fusion thing and this and that. And I told those guys that, and they said, you know what? That Carlos doesn't exist anymore. Because as soon as Clive Davis took him and paired him with like Rob Thomas and all the young singers, and they, and they did Supernatural, and, and then Carlos started making millions of dollars, it's like, who knew, who wants fusion? I don't want fusion anymore. I don't want, I don't want to go there. So, so the thing is, is that I would love to play with Carlos, but I don't want to play, I don't want to do what he's doing right now. I am very glad that David Matthews has that kick. Um, and you've, but, but, you've given a nice segue though, um, Ruben, to Latin music and your own orchestra. I mean, I think you get to, to do what you want to do there, yeah? There was a time when uh, many, many years ago when I, when I said to Bruce Conte, I said, I don't know. I, I, think I, I, I think I want to quit. I don't want to do the owl thing anymore. He goes, what? And I, and I go, I don't want to do the owl thing. He goes, you never quit that gig. And I go, why? It doesn't, it doesn't, I, I don't do what I want to do on it. He goes, it doesn't matter. That gig is your day job. That gig affords you the ability to go home and play the kind of music that you want to play and not have to play, you know, like playing New York, New York and playing weddings and this and that and bar mitzvahs. That gig affords you the ability to go home and play with the people you want to play with and not the people you have to play with. Where I'm in a tuxedo and this guy is here and he's hired me to play Girl from Ipanema and he's just like butchering it. And it's like, uh, you know, and he goes, so you never quit that gig. And so the thing is, is that I've been blessed. I've, I've held on to the algorithm for all this time. And then I go home and I play the kind of stuff that I want to play. It may not pay as much as, you know, you know all the other gigs, but I don't, I, don't, I don't care about the pay because I've got my day job. I've got my street job. And then I take care of the guys. You know, my orchestra, you know, it's a, it's a trio. You know that right? I mean, when I play live, it's a trio. It's a big slamming trio. It is. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm so happy to be playing with it. I'm so blessed. I've got the best guys that are here, even though I'm surrounded by deadheads. I'm surrounded by the Grateful Deadheads. I swear to God, I kid you not. I'll play some, some super mambo and people come up and go, do you know trucking? <laughs> Help me. So, so, so I, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. I get to do what I want to do. I've got, and then I've got the, the, the day job. Al will go, you know, he's, he doesn't party. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He, he's a complete vegan. He's in great shape. And now they're doing a movie on him. Yes. I've seen lots of discussion on who will play who. I haven't read much of the detail though, Ruben. Have they confirmed the cast? I don't, and, I, and I do like I do like I what you know I don't ask I, I do love who you've suggested to play yourself do you want to tell our listeners who you've suggested should play you <laughs> do you have a picture of it uh, I'll, I'll edit it in the picture for sure I'll put, edit in the picture put it in right now <laughs> that is Danny Trejo the uh, the the Mexican looking the Latin dude that looks like a villain he's got the long hair he's really scary looking and so I put a poster and said, uh, yeah, they phoned me up to ask me to talk to Danny about the movie. I'm like, what movie? Who? What? I don't understand. I, and I made it all up. But now my latest post was that uh, his management called up to decline the offer to be in the movie because the actor said he was too young to play the role <laughs> of Ruben Valtierra. <laughs> He didn't, so he, didn't, people, he didn't say uh, machete don't do keyboard or anything like that. Right, 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 right. Machete don't do keyboard. Machete don't do keyboard. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe maybe I could have Ricky Martin play me. Yeah, that's it. 
or Wilmer Valderrama from that 70s show. You know, that guy. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I'm just going to leave it alone. But uh, this is crazy. Now, you know, when it comes to the movie, I'm hoping that uh, I hope they do it well. I know what I was going to tell you, and I'll segue into that. I hope they do it well, because Al is a true great artist. He's a legend. He, uh, there's videos of him singing with Steve Tyler, Alice Cooper, the, and, you know, all together. And when he did his part, he blew them away. They were on their knees bowing to him. He is that good. He can go in, he can rap. He doesn't do the freestyle rap but he can, he's got all the stuff memorized, thousands of lyrics, tens of thousands of lyrics, and boom, 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 boom. He never makes a mistake. He never makes a mistake. So, so the thing is, what I'm saying is, I hope that they do a good movie on him, you know, and that it's not cheesy and stupid because he deserves it. He's a good guy and he's a great artist. And with that segue, I'll tell you, I'll show you what I was thinking before about professionalism. And it has to do that with, we would, uh, he would sign autographs for hundreds of people after the show. Everybody knew uh, in the later years that uh, all you had to do is go around to the back of the venue and go find the buses and he would come out and he would sign autographs for, for hundreds of people, you know. So we would go to the bar and we knew to be on the bus at 12 o'clock at night because he would be finished by then. And um, we're at the bar one night and I get a phone call and it's the tour manager and he goes, uh, come back to the bus. We're, we're taking off now. Al doesn't feel good. Okay, fine. So... 10 o'clock, whatever, go back to the bus, Al's sitting there, and I go, are you okay? You know, you don't feel good. I've got to, you need, is it your stomach, or do you got something? And he's like, no, no. I'm like, okay, whatever. We get to the hotel. Um, the next morning, the phone rings, and it's the tour manager, and he goes, okay, well, we have to tell you now that basically, Al's parents were found dead last night. Supposedly, his father had uh, started the furnace or something, and the flu was in the wrong position. And they just, you know, they settled in they, on their little, you know, their, their reclining chairs. They, they took a nap. And they never woke up. Mm. Gosh. They had to tell Al this before the concert so they had a conference call and they told him the news i'm here after the concert guy oh, i smudged this part and i made this i made this yeah i smudged that part otherwise it was okay the whole thing was okay and as usual al is perfect he never makes a mistake and i find out afterwards that he had been told that his parents had been found dead and he had to go on the show a half an hour later. He didn't cancel the show. He did the show. He was perfect. Wow. And so I said to the uh, tour manager, I said, well, I guess the tour is canceled. And tour manager says, no, Al doesn't want anybody to lose any work. He's going to go take care of business and take a day off. You know, on the next day off, he's going to take care of the business. He's going to come right back. And that is Al Yankovic. Mm -hmm. He didn't want anybody to lose any work. Wow. And he soldiered through the whole thing. I phoned him up about a, a year later and I said, how did, you, how did you do that? And he said, oh, well, I just, I would do the show. And then I would go back to my room and I would cry. And then he came back and he did the show again and did the, that's Al Yankovic. That's yeah. why I'm so happy and so blessed to have, to be doing this gig for all this time. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, he knows what he wants. 
He knows what he wants. He doesn't say anything like Carlos. He's like, no, no, no. I need it to be more, more blue, you know, or more, 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 more teal, you know, give me teal. I was like, what? You know, because he doesn't read music or anything. It's not that. Al knows exactly what he wants. He doesn't raise his voice and he's always loyal to you. Yeah, I said my piece. And as you Very said, great artist, great person. And and even just from a musical, he's a great musician too. So, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a reason Keyboard Magazine, which was all of our Bible in the 80s and 70s, there's a reason they featured him with accordion on the front cover. Yes, you know, and uh, and then I, and then I got to be, uh, I got to be on the cover too. And, and I asked him, they wanted to just have me in the cover. And I said, can I bring Al on? And they said, of course. You know, so, you know, just to thank him, you know, mm. for being so loyal. Because, man, I've given him plenty of opportunities to say, Ruben, you know, good, goodbye. You know, because I was very much into the music, you know, about, uh, about you know, the band being tight here the band, or doing this and that. No, no, you should add a beat here. And, 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 and he put up with me, you know, he didn't have to. So, so I've been very blessed, very blessed. Um, so, so next, what do you got? enjoyed that Paul yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun and you know Ruben is a really vivacious character as as uh, you've all now heard and seen for those of you uh, watching us on YouTube but so generous with his thoughts and honest and you know he really is speaking from from the heart and that that makes these interviews fantastic so what fun yeah, absolutely. And so um, this is part one of two parts for, for our interview with Ruben. So we, we look forward to seeing you again for part two in the very, very near future. But thank you always for listening.